Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cyberpunk Lorecast, where we brave scanning the net to find all the deep history and lore of cyberpunk. I'm Toasty, a fixer that's new to Night City with a desire to jump into the details of this gritty setting. And I'm Genesis, an old school media tech with a love of character deep dives. Together, we will bring you the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future. We've got incoming. Let's Delta. Welcome back to another episode of the Cyberpunk Lorecast. I'm your girl Genesis, and we are finally reunited with my main choom toasty. How did your super secret undercover mission go? Uh, it, it was it was awful. It was just awful. <laughs> Aww. It's it's fine. It wasn't like horribly horribly bad, but I'm still recovering. So just like, but <clears throat> no, it'll be fine. Next week, I'll hopefully get back to a regular sleep schedule at least. I bet two and a half hours last night. I'm like, I'm, I'm living right now. Hmm. All right. Well, then let's get through this so that way you can go take a nap. <laughs> Me, I have coffee in hand so I can stay awake. Oh, it has been a crazy journey already this month, and it's only the third. Yay. <laughs> Alright, let's get into the Scream Sheets. Uh, we don't have really anything to go over from last week, uh, because it was the Patreon chat where we talked about our wants and dreams and expectations for the Phantom Liberty expansion pack. But yet, th- just this morning, I read on Insider Gaming that at an investor meeting in Warsaw, CEO of CD Projekt Red, Adam Kaczynski, revealed that there are intentions to release a Cyberpunk 2077 Game of the Year edition in 2023, following the launch of Phantom Liberty and the application of another, quote, substantial update. Hmm. It was with a resolute tone that he confirmed in 23 that 2077 will absolutely get the Game of the Year edition, coming in the form of a full-priced release. And this was the direct quote. It is the natural order of things. It was the same with The Witcher, with 
after both expansions were finally released as the Game of the Year edition, and has been on the market that way ever since. The same can be expected in this case. Thoughts on that? So what month in 2024 do you think will actually get this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, obviously, no offense, I'm sure, and and maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, but, you know, I've been... Uh, we were waiting on the the Witcher, like, next-gen update um, for, um, what, did they said quarter one this year? Yeah. Just, like, is so... You're going to have to push it back, probably. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe, like, July, August 2024, we might actually see that. Who knows? What I'm hoping for is that Phantom Liberty is like a summer release and uh, we get to play and play and play and play and play. And then for Christmas, they come out with the game of the year edition. Like I could see that from like the money aspect of it, that that would be a really good time frame for them. Mm-hmm. And then, but the substantial update, I don't know if that, when that would launch and but who knows maybe the update will come up first and then phantom liberty will be integrated and then game of the year at the end of the year just wondering what does substantial mean exactly like if it's substantial that tells me like it's not it's not bug fixes it's not quality of life things like there's got to be something meaty in there Mm-hmm. Like, like added, like, like quests, like I mean, or some I don't know, like something big, because I mean it, it's not substantial. It's just bug fixes and quality of life changes. Mm-hmm. And but the substantial update, do we think that that is what they were talking about with um the new graphic stuff, uh, the V sync and all of the terminology that honestly I don't really care about my graphic card can only handle so much so I don't try to overclock or do anything that's going to break it that's fair I'm, I don't have the best one either but one day but yeah so maybe that, that I guess that would be substantial to like but I mean it's already like it's already hard enough for people to run this damn game, mm-hmm. even on like some of the top tier graphics cards. Like, so uh, if you try to make it any, 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 any more pristine, you're just gonna like have some issues, probably. Yeah. And so at that point, I mean, like, only like top top like people are gonna have the the forty. 40 series graphics cards by that point. Like, <clears throat> yeah. I think that we have a really interesting topic to go over with you guys today. It, I think we need to set the scene. We need to set the universe, the world of cyberpunk and start with a top down overview of what is this world that we're living in? So how about we go over the history of the world 
before 2077. So, you know, just a to, to disclaimer, I know a lot of people have like, are kind of new to the show. So you probably feel like you've heard this a little bit ago. Um, but I feel it doesn't hurt to touch over it again since Genesis and I haven't really talked about it before. Um, so if you've heard it before, sorry. But hopefully you learn something new or it helps jog your memory again. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the timeline of the Cyberpunk series diverges dramatically from our own around the 1990s. Although other divergences do occur well before then, albeit smaller in size and scope. Uh, one example being uh, the fall of the Soviet Union at the Cold War leads to the dissemination of nuclear weapons on the Black Market. Mm. It was around that time that the United States stepped up its war against drug cartels and corrupt governments in Central America. Their desire to win the war on drugs becomes so intense that they even resorted to forms of chemical combat. Such tactics not only caused former allies to denounce the U.S., but inspired the most powerful cartels to take the drug war battles to U.S. soil. God, we're idiots. <laughs> yep. In 1993, a cartel is even able to de- detonate a nuclear device in New York City. Welcome to cyberpunk. In 1994, a global market collapse and another nuclear incident in Pittsburgh plunges the United States into further disarray. Corporations begin taking over more aspects of the United States life, including control over agricultural production in an attempt to stabilize an increasingly uncertain world. Nevertheless, things somehow get worse in 1996 when the president and vice president of the United States were assassinated. You know, it obviously not our timeline, but you know, that this, I'm even happier with my birthday knowing that I wouldn't have been alive for all this bullshit. Although, I would just have to deal with the aftermath, which is worse, probably. Uh, So as various gangs rise across the country in response to this incredible shift in the power structure, the NSA, CIA, FBI, and DEA formed the Gang of Four, and the Defense Secretary of the United States claims executive in order to declare martial law. Jeez. We hope this won't... (laughs) as too much of a surprise, but that move is not successful. More and more gangs appear across the United States as officials struggle to keep up with the madness. Around that same time, a variety of natural and unnatural disasters kill millions and inspire some states, including California to secede oh okay i want to fight against gangs so i'm gonna form my own military gang that's not how that works government gang it's great right such a good idea i mean like as we know like what i can't remember the exact percentages but it's like what the the ncpd responds to like 
what, like, 14% of all its crimes because it's so underfunded. Like, you... You're even, like, you're, one, a governmental bureau, so you're automatically already underfunded. And then, not to mention, like, yeah, no. It's just, you don't have the income even, you're losing income from that now that, like, corporations are taking over. So, I mean, I guess if you just wanted to get together to, like, kill people, it sounds like the only thing you're going to accomplish here. But you're probably going to die in the process. <laughs> Proxy wars, trade wars, and a resurgent Europe butt against the prevailing U.S. world. Eventually, brief nuclear exchanges and biological warfare around the globe caused the gradual decline of Western civilization. Societies collapse, and many governments either dissolve or are reduced to reactionary, petty, authoritarian states. Okay, can we please stop setting off nuclear bombs? Like, I would, I'm sure the world would appreciate that. At least in Fallout, they waited until 2077 to do it, right? Like, these guys were like, 1990s? Let's go. Pop them off. <laughs> oh. Okay, somewhere along the way, advancements in technology afforded people the opportunity to enhance themselves with various cybernetic implants. While those implants are largely used by gangs, soldiers, and operatives, they've also worked their way into daily life. This discrepancy between available technologies and the horrors of the world, as well as some of the drastic gaps in financial equality, is why you see some areas that look incredibly advanced and futuristic next to areas that appear to be dangerously underdeveloped, which we do see a lot. It's very much like the wasteland, but future tech. In the chaos, corporations fill the vacuum of power amidst a collapsing social order. Technological advances, unbridled from government oversight and ethical limitations, lead to hundreds of new inventions. As time wears on, some corporations become as powerful as the countries they are housed in. Ultimately, four corporate wars have occurred by 2023 each one becoming more overt and deadly than the last. The infamous Fourth Corporate War was brought to an end by the detonation of yet another nuclear bomb in the heart of Night City. Followed until 2045, the time of the Red, were a period of global reconstruction as corporations and governments alike tried to recover from the unparalleled economic and, and, and environmental damage. By 2077, corporate influence is more pervasive than ever, and fears of another devastating corporate war loom large on the horizon. Oh. <laughs> hey, so actually, fun fact, since I haven't been here, and we've been talking about it in my, uh, my like, Cyberpunk Red Group or whatever, but, like, have you seen the stuff between, like, um, like Elon Musk versus Apple or whatever. Oh, no, no. I'm... And they're calling it, they're calling it the war between Elon Musk and Apple. Between 
the corporations that they both run. So, like, have we actually IRL gotten our first corporate? Is it about to happen? I mean, we've the the timeline is just off by a couple of decades. But I swear to God, if Elon Musk gets his hands on a nuke, we're screwed. Yeah. 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 Oh man, I I don't want. <laughs> I know, like, you and I have chatted a lot about how cool it would be to have, like, a monowire or some type of cybernetic upgrade, but I don't actually want this. No, please, no. If it takes all of this background to get to that point of technology, I'm gonna go with no. <sighs> yeah, no, I have to agree, but I mean... It's just, unfortunately, cyberpunk is just a a dark reflection of our current lives, which is becoming more and more realistic as we go on. <laughs> I mean, like, we already have, like, a few key corporations that basically, like, run or run so many things. I mean, between Musk and Bezos, like... Right? We've got Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, and what, maybe one other big corp. But yeah. Mm -mm. yeah. And space uh, exploration, you know, working on that, of course. You know, Musk wants to take us to Mars, so... <clears throat> <laughs> you should just move on to the mid rank before you get too upset with this good idea let's go to the mid rank Alright, here we are in the middle of the show where we talk everything about the podcast and nothing about the lore. Uh, short and sweet today, we don't really we don't have any new patrons or any new reviews to go over, but a huge shout out to all 15 of our chooms. You guys are the best. Big hearts, major loves, appreciate you all. And of course, our promo our promo code on metallic dicegames.com is still up so at checkout use the code cplc for cyberpunk lore cast and get 10% off of your entire order their dice really are top quality got anything nice you want to say to the people no me toasty say nice things that never happen no nah. For real though, it's, it's, it's good to be back. Back at working the things. Working the thing. I'm tired. It's fine. <laughs> We've already been over this. Move on. <laughs> Let's get back into the history of hopefully what is not going to be our actual future. Alright, Toasty. Bring us to a, the overview scope of the world. All right. So, um, taking a big, a big wide scope 
looking at the whole globe, uh, Earth is the home of humanity. The corporations have taken over the world from their skyscraper. At the same time, massive armies of cyborg killers roam the shattered urban ruins of deserted cities. Countries have collapsed in more ways than one. Corporate wars have ruined the economies and rebuilt them again. The new United States is divided. Japan is the biggest empire on the planet. China has become a rising power. I mean, uh, in our future right now, China is already there. But, you know, um, the Soviet Union infights and the EEC is looking to the stars expansion. Corporations like Arasaka, Militech, Sav Oil, and many more rulers of Earth. It may be the homeworld of humanity, but with companies like Orbital Air and Mitsubishi slash Kuridansu creating new worlds outside, they promise a new positive future for those who go off-world. Hmm. Uh, humans... Yeah. Yep. Sound familiar? <laughs> Humans' expansion in space started through the ESA, or the Eurospace Agency, building the Crystal Palace. The Soviet Union followed after with their presence in space being limited, but noticeable. The ESA owns much of what can be found in space, cities on Luna, to the space stations. The JAB, or Japan Eurospace <laughs> Aerospace Bureau, also has a presence in space with many workstations being built by them. The Arasaka Corporation operates facilities in orbit, one of the more known ones being the Arasaka Orbital Station. Sov Oil also scares me because I play Mass Effect and anything from Sovereign is probably not a good thing. <laughs> true. Very true. It's interesting that it's still the Soviet Union, though. I guess uh, in this timeline, it didn't dissolve. Let's. So now we've talked about the state of the world and the state of space surrounding the world. Let's get into individual continents and go from there. I will. T let's talk North America. What is happening here? North America suffered from many disasters of the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Economic collapse, bioplague, global warming, and corruption led to the downfall of the United States of America. By 2045, although no longer a superpower, the new United States is, is positioned in the same way as Europe and Asia are after the Fourth Corporate War. Combined operations groups maintain the government, but others have seceded from the NUSA and have become mercenaries, independent kingdoms, or act in their own self-interest. The NUSA itself is reminiscent of the Wild West of the late 19th century, where civilized East Coast and uncivilized West Coast. Yeah, that tracks. I'm uncivilized. Yeah. <laughs> Where do I stand then? I'm like right in the middle. You're in Texas. You're your own country now. You def you were the first you were the first one to secede. In <laughs> He's true. That's true. You're right. Uh, moving south, uh, Central and South America, 
Uh, Central America emerged from the first and second Central American Wars as a union of independent states working in mutual cooperation, having expelled the United States from most of the region, aside from the Panama Canal Zone. South America came out of the fourth quarter as a means for nationalist factions to bid for land and influence, shattering an alliance that had only begun to rebuild by 2045. This culminated in the formation of the Organization of American States, or OAS, led by Argentina, Brazil, and Chile, a world power on par with the European, European Union. You know, it's nice to see. It's nice to see that South America came out on the, the, the positive end of all this. Right? <clears throat> I'm loving it. Uh, maybe... I will just move to Central America. I mean, I've got family in El Salvador. I think I'll be okay. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> but right now, we'll jump across the pond and talk a little bit more about Eurasia. And I've got the Euro Theater. By 2045, despite being heavily affected by the Fourth Corporate War, the world stock exchange and common market remain stable allowing most European nations, exclu excluding Italy, Spain, and Greece, to maintain stable economies, having the corporations supplanted by European business barons. Great Britain suffered major economic troubles, amplified by immigration and antiquated technologies. The rest of Europe was recovering from the Fourth War, rebuilding financial and industrial hubs affected by the war. The USSR and the rest of New Russia had fallen to a point of being unable to feed the population, as well as a similar lack of modern technology. So I think as a note to before, I believe, at least in this timeline, the Soviet Union, before they stopped being that, because um, it seems like they are not that anymore, but they probably got their stuff into space and then they got reformed into the USSR and new Russia. That would make sense. Because if um, a majority of your population goes into space, then there's no reason to maintain it here on Earth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, moving on to the Middle East, uh, the Middle East meltdown of 1997 left many Middle Eastern nations as radioactive wastelands, only Egypt, Syria, and Israel surviving due to their ruined states being left alone during the fourth quarter. So they got lucky because they were already in dire straits, so they, no one considered them an issue. So they didn't get turned, or they didn't get involved in this mini smelter. <laughs> Which, um, just to note, just a small little detail there um, about the Mideast Meltdown. Um, essentially, uh, that area, the Middle East, got nuked all to hell, and all that remained was radioactive glass fields. Because it's rough out there. The heat of the nuclear bombs literally turned all the sand to glass. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's doesn't, it, or people don't. Uh, step foot into that area again until around 2045 when it's 
safe enough for people to start kind of coming back in. At least the radiation's gone. Don't know about the glass. It's probably still there. It that sounds horrible, but I want to I want to know what that looks like. Like I want to know have they ever set off? I need to look at the aftermath of the nuclear bombs that we have set off to know if there's been glass formation and stuff like that because I think it's really really cool. I'm going to tangent here for a second. But have you ever seen what it looks like when natural glass forms, lightning strikes at the beach, and then you get, it's so cool looking. So I wonder what nuclear glass looks like. Deadly. Deadly. Okay. Yeah. Because you look at it, and then you die from radiation poisoning, because it's probably way too... (laughs) Okay, well, can I go in, like, a super uber hazmat suit and just go look at it, and then... Sure, but don't touch it, or else you're dead still, because that glass is definitely shredding you. I want to touch it. You cannot touch it. No, you can't touch it. You're going to die if you touch it. You can't touch touch it. it. Your suit's done. One hole is all it takes. Okay, fine. Um, but... (laughs) I'm still going to touch it. <laughs> uh, all right. Then. Well, if I'm, I guess if I'm ever doing the show alone, you know that Jen touched nuclear class. That's what happened. <laughs> this is definitely the reason. Anyway, uh, by the 2020s, the impacted areas had become safe enough for scavenger. Okay. Sorry. My bad. I said 2045. I looked at the wrong spot. <clears throat> uh, had become safe enough for scavengers as well as other individuals willing to traverse them to scavenge and to collect hardware and valuables from the ruined fields. By the time of the red of 2045, alliances and power blocks were being formed or reformed to ward off invading foreign nations wanting to mine the remnants of meltdown afflicted nations. Okay. So the Middle East is definitely still struggling. Uh, So let's see what's happening in Asia. The Asia continent saw the rise of the new world powers. By 2020, Japan was the largest economic power in the world, with many corporations holding much power over the third world nations. The Arasaka Corporation the most influential megacorp in the world, is headquartered in Tokyo and controlled much of its policies. A united Korea was formed in 2005 as the country saw much success from its economy with the help of its corporations. China became a rising power and allied itself with the new United States. By 2045, the continent had been heavily damaged, recovering from various fourth corporate war actions, such as the biological attack and total destruction of Hong Kong, and battles across the South China Sea and Mongolian Plateau for China. Japan was still recovering from the Arasaka Corporation's attempted coup, and North Korea collapsing into warlords and fiefdoms, and South Korea becoming isolated. The Philippines and Australia had been damaged and isolating from the, isolated from the fighting as well. 
Despite this, the nations of Asia managed to managed to sustain many necessities and luxuries lost or harder to attain after the Fourth Corporate War. Preparedness for ecological shifts, a, con a conversion from coal and oil to American-like... Uh, Chutu. Chutu. Hmm. Yeah, that's what they call it. Chutu. That's fuel. <clears throat> oh, that's the algae farms. Okay, the Chutu, yeah. Chutu algae farms. And birth control programs to reduce excess population growth managed to put Asian cities and nations into a position of comfort and security, although lacking personal freedoms common in other nations. Can I soapbox? Because I want to yep. soapbox. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> uh, birth control programs that are managed by your government. <sighs> Stay out of my uterus. It is mine. And I get to make all the decisions regarding what happens to it. Mm. Do I understand restrictions on how many children you can have? Yeah, I think China's done that before. They've definitely restricted how many kids you have and you have to petition in order to have more than one. Okay. Don't force birth control on me. I don't want that. That's not good. Get forced vasectomies instead. If this is population control by forcing vasectomies on everyone, then that's reversible. Go with that. It's non-hormonal. It is not going to cause massive upset inside of women's bodies. I'll quit ranting. I mean, I I went to China whenever they still had the uh, the restriction like one child per family or whatever. And then I think, I don't know if they changed it back, but I believe um, I, from when COVID started, they actually did like a forced, like uh, they were basically like forcing their citizens to have more children as a means of repopulation because a lot of people died from COVID. So I don't know if they changed it back or how they're doing that right now. But, I mean, yeah, good thing you don't live in China because they, the government tells you everything you can do with your body. That's it. <laughs> oh. ah. Notice, you wouldn't even get to pick a job. They'll give you your job, too. <laughs> well. Yeah. I have chosen <laughs> all of my jobs and I choose exactly what happens inside of my body. So I am happy where I am. Hmm. Want to go to Africa? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would like to someday. I think I think it'd be cool. I don't know. I don't know where, but you know, somewhere. Oh, you mean the show? My bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, New Africa had been reborn by the fourth as a space dominant nation being unified by the European nations of the Eurotheater. The Highrider nation had formed, declaring their sovereignty and space control from the rest of the world due to most space workers, spaceports, and construction areas being on African soil, otherwise African-related. You see, Star Trek, there are black people in space. <laughs> 
they don't, are there no black people in Star Trek? No. It, it's a long internet joke. Star Wars. Damn it. I fucked up the joke. I was like, I was like, I, I don't know Star Trek, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Lando Calrissian is like the only black guy in the for, in the first set of films. There's only about one black guy in each set of films because we got Lando, we got Mace Windu, and then we got Finn, John Boyega's character. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any black women left in space? No. Yeah, I can't. They're all. I was like, I'm trying to think. I was like, I can, I can think of. But no, yeah, no. No. I guess not. Either that or they made them all aliens or something. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really cool, though. I like. Uh the idea of Africa, because I mean, it's such a huge amount of landmass there that building spaceports and space stations uh, could be quite feasible. Hopefully they're not taking out the savannas and the plains, though, in order to do that. Oh, they definitely are. This is cyberpunk. Mm, What are trees, Jen? What are trees? Do you remember the movie District 9? Because now I'm thinking about how there's definitely a spaceport in Johannesburg. That's where the aliens come and invade Johannesburg. I've seen that movie one time, a very long time ago, and I think I was falling asleep. uh... It's one of my favorite movies. Like, it is so messed up and creepy and realistic and... I don't know, I've probably seen it, like... A dozen times. Alright, so do we have any other thoughts about the world of cyberpunk? Sounds like it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what time frame I would want if I had to live in the world of cyber. I don't know what time frame I would want to live in. Because I already know from actual real-world experience that going through times of economic downfall, political unrest, um, you know, is a world war going to break out? It's scary as shit, dude. And I don't like it. There's a global level pervasive anxiety that is always in the back of your head going, is this the day that the world is going to light up on fire? And I don't like it. So I don't want to live in the 90s in this world. And I don't think that I really want to live through any of the corporate wars either. Because those are also scary and a lot of blowing up and nuclear fallout. Maybe. Funnily, funnily enough, I think that the best time to live, which granted, I feel like, like resources would probably be rough. So you'd probably have to like, you know, it'd probably be a little hard going. But 
as far as like a break from like crazy political slash corporations slash all that stuff is probably the time after leading up to the red is probably the (laughs) oh your mic cut out there for a half second you said uh right before 2045 yeah so uh 2023 leading up to the red of 2045 and like maybe a little bit after because like it's all reconstruction i mean even even the tone of like cyberpunk red is more hopeful than that of like 2020 like in the the art like the rpg books Mm -hmm. like they make it and they even i believe they even designed the mechanical systems of the game to be more like like your character has more potential to do things as opposed to 2020 where like 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 even being like the best at a thing you still were like like the chance to succeed was like five percent so that might be have been the best time. Maybe even if you're a nomad. I feel like being a nomad during that time would have been awesome. But then again, I'm very biased towards nomads because I think they're cool as fuck. And then where would you want to live? Um, Honestly, I, just, like I said, I'd probably like be a nomad, part of a nomad pack. Okay, what continent? Um, hmm, I think for me personally, I would want to be, so I don't know, I can't remember if it's an actual thing or like, or if there's, I mean, I think there's examples because they have like drift nations, but like, where you're like out at like in the sea or whatever, like I don't want to be part of like an ocean-based nomad pack. Cool. That does sound cool. And it feels like those areas out there, like Philippines, Pacific Islands and stuff, there's not enough, I think, out there for the corporations to mess with them that much. So I bet that there's still a possibility of like them being unchanged or relatively unchanged so you could still like like appreciate you know the old world essentially because mm. I bet Hawaii's still beautiful in that time because like why would why settle in Hawaii there's not anything for you and so I think I'd go Central America like I'm hoping that you know it's still similar enough, um, but that there's a little bit more economic stability. I like having nice things. I like money. And I feel <laughs> like, you know, being in one of the first world areas, um, Central America would do it. So I'm saying, like, I feel like, yeah, that's, I just, like with nomads, you just, I can live like kind of my life still, you know, mm-hmm. like sure I move around more, 
and like I gotta do like the job, but it's fine, you know. Everyone works anyways. And then on my time off, I can just get my buddies together, play some D and D or the equivalent in the Cyberpunk universe. Yeah. I like my day job. I really, really do. Um and I like I love my family, so I would want to have stability. And well, nomad lifestyle is cool. I think that I I would want that to be like single. Like I wouldn't want to be married with a kid and having a nomadic lifestyle. But I also know like the all the calls are all about family and it would you'd be raising a kid within that village, you know. So I do see yeah. I see both, but I don't know. I'm a city girl. I think that's the big thing. I'm I'm I am not one to be out there camping. I am not one out out there to be, you know, anything like that. Uh Cities are scary, so I'll stay I'll stay away from in this time period. I like my house, I like my mattress, I like my pillow. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get my ergonomic bed <laughs> in the back of a truck. Fair. Bold of you to assume you get your ergonomic bed in a house. <laughs> Unless you're corporate. Well, that's fine. I'll be a corporate slave. Like, the, uh, that... Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, no, I can. I respect. I already work for a mega corporation in the real world. I can do it again in Cyberpunk. I don't think my job's a mega corporation, but it's definitely a corporation. Yeah. All right. I think we've definitely talked enough about the world and the state of Cyberpunk. So please come give us a follow on Twitter because that still exists for right now at Cyberpunk Lore. You can always hit us up on patreon.com slash cyberpunk lorecast and watch us live most weeks on Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash cyberpunk lorecast. Uh, I am Genesis, one half of the Two Girls, One Ship podcast, where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. If you want to know what it's like to romance Carrie and exactly what happens in his culmination scene, go give his episode a listen. It gets naughty. Very, very naughty. Or if you're a person of refined taste, like myself, you go listen to the Judy episode. Well, you also get those details, but um, less extreme. <laughs> I think I still covered her story in a lot of detail, though. Well, I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> it just wasn't as violent. <laughs> so, <laughs> I am Toasty. Um, I do the Witcher lore cast uh, with... Tom, uh, head of the Robots Network, um, and I also do the Cyberpunk Cyberpunk Red actual play podcast with the Fumbling Four and Almighty Crit Gang, which we'll be recording in three hours, actually. So, Ooh, fun. Um, uh, 
Yeah, that's all the things I do. All right. And then shout out to Miracle of Sound, who just put up a new video on their YouTube channel taking our song, Neon Red, uh, the lyrical version, but he put it to signs from or scenes from Edge Runner. And it's so good seeing David and Lucy and Becca and hearing our song. Chef's Kiss. Love it, love it. Um, so go listen to them. And while you are out there, remember. Stay safe in Night City. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Mikola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's The Elden Archives, a FromSoft Lorecast, available everywhere.